Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And I want to share with you a memory that I have of one of the most memorable New Year's Eves in my life. And it happened here in Northampton at Sage Hall, going to a concert by arch guitarist Peter Blanchett. It was one of the most moving, beautiful musical performances I have ever heard or ever seen. And you will have the opportunity this first night at 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock to have that same kind of experience. Peter Blanchett, arch guitarist extraordinaire, will be performing at Sage Hall at first night, 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock, two different performances. You should do yourself the great favor and have this amazing experience of being with people and hearing and living this amazing music. Peter Blanchett is with us in the studio. We welcome you back, Peter. Thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate your time, and we really appreciate you. Well, I, I'm, I'm feeling that right now. Yeah. Tell Thank us, you. Tell us, if you would, please, the arch guitar, what it is, and how it came into yeah. its own life. Yeah. Well, uh, it, it's a weird guitar with too many strings, <laughs> which is how my mother described it uh, back in 1980 in the Boston okay. area. How many strings? Uh, 11 strings. Okay. And that's because um, guitars have six strings, but uh, before the guitar, there was an instrument called the lute, and the lute had more strings than the guitar, believe it or not. They had... 10, 11, 12, 13, um, and that means that they have a, a bigger range. They have a wider range, sort of like, a, you know, you sit at a piano keyboard and uh, a real piano, a grand piano has 88 keys, right? You know, and then like a little little dinky Casio keyboard, which, you know, you can make pretty good music on that too, but they might only have uh, 49 keys or 24 keys, you know? And so anyway, I... I was really into that historic instrument, uh, but I couldn't find one back in 1980. That's pre-internet, right? Um, when there was really no way to learn anything in the world for people because there was no internet. We couldn't this really is do pre anything. Pre-1980, what we all... all also yeah, refer, like, refer, referred like to this, as the dark ages. Yeah, we huddled around a log, <laughs> a log at night, and hopefully stayed warm and shared one bowl of some liquid together, and you know, dreamed together. That those days, um, back then, it was a lot harder to to just say, you know, I'm interested in uh, 18th century French lute music. I'd like to read every book ever written about it and watch people play it uh, in the next uh, two hours. You couldn't do that. So I had to sort of research it myself uh, by going to libraries and, and photocopying pictures of instruments and drawings and then cutting them up and gluing them together and working together with an instrument maker friend. Uh, named Walter Stanel, who was just the perfect match for me. Uh, uh, he was a brilliant and crazy person with no, you know, with no fear of trying something. And so I said I wanted a guitar. I wanted a guitar that was a, a combination of a lute and a guitar. And, and we put our heads together and looked at different things and Peter Blanchett, stop there yeah. for one second. Yeah. Were you a guitarist? Were you a person who yeah. grew up on rock and roll? Is yes. that is that where just, this well, starts? Really yeah, it was just Steve uh, Sanderson was playing a Howlin' Wolf uh, tune <laughs> as an intro, which is so funny coincidence because Hubie Sumlin, Howlin' Wolf's guitarist, he was 
really, when I was a kid, he was my, uh, when I first got a good guitar, I got a Gibson Les Paul, oh, a gold a, Gibson Les Paul. That's because, a, it's a classic. Because that was the picture. Honestly, that's the real reason. I, want, you know, I could say a lot of things. I saw a picture of Hubie Sumlin with a, with a gold Les Paul and that's I had to have one. You I, know? I, I love how you are just genre, you have such a wide palette. But getting back to the guitar, yeah. the 11 strings, does that yeah. bear any relationship to how many half notes there are in the scale that we're accustomed to? No, no. it doesn't. Okay. It, it, you know what it is? I'll tell you. It, it has to do with when the guy and I decided to build it, there, there were lots of possibilities. I knew I wanted to have an instrument with at least eight strings because otherwise there's like certain music by Bach. You'd, you'd at least have to have eight strings to play it like it was written. Um, but most lutes had more than eight strings, okay? So eight to 13. So what am I going to pick? And he said to me, okay, kid, now's the time to tell me how many strings you want. And so I took this guitar that I was playing at the time, and I looked at how far the distance was between the strings, because that has a lot to do with how comfortable a guitar feels to you. You know what I'm saying? your fingers in there. Yeah, yeah, like how far is it from this string? And they're different on lots of guitars. And so I took that number, and I had a piece of cardboard, and I, and I drew a bridge, you know, which is where you attach the guitar strings to the guitar. And, I, and I'm like, how, how wide would I be comfortable, like, opening my hand up, you know? If I, had, if I had, like, eight strings, that's only to here. That's nothing. Nine strings? Yeah, I could do that. And then I was like, ten. I'm comfortable with ten. And because I was a young person, and I really believe this, like, when you're young and you have a good idea... You're way better at making it happen than when you're old. Because the older I get, the more reasons I have not to do something. The more reasons, more ways I have to talk myself out of it. So I thought 10 is perfect. So when he said, so how many? I said 11. One to grow on for yeah. your birthday. Yeah, just if I can have that, I want that. Could you, you stay know? with the strings and yeah. the tuning of it for a yeah. minute? So on a six-string guitar, EAD, BGF, right. there's a certain uh, spacing, musical spacing, tonal yeah. spacing between the strings. Intervals, do, they're do called. You, thank yeah. you. Do you, con- do, you con- do you continue that same kind of, uh, same kind of, of intervals? Sort of. It, on a guitar, I mean, you know, it, on a guitar, the third in, the interval, usually it's a fourth, right? Stom, bum, 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 bum. But on, and, and so when you get to the third string, you only have, a third, so it goes that. Right. So why does it do that? It's brilliant. It does that because if you have that change in interval, that means you can put your finger across the whole instrument, right, from one end to the other, and you get you get two octaves. So you can play a chord like in 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 a full two octaves. You have Right? But on the lute, they don't put the third between the second and third string. They put the third between the fourth and the third string. So, so the truth is the intervals are the same. Like Steve could so pick going his guitar down, up, you, you, and if I said to him, uh, play a D chord shape, yes, play a D chord shape, but don't play it up on the top of the guitar where you normally do, because if you do that, it'll sound like this. It's not, it's not the chord. But if you put that D chord shape here, It'll sound, it'll sound great. So, so it's not that different. Did you know all this from playing rock and roll, or uh, did you study music? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, I studied music. Yeah, I went to the conservatory. Where? Um, 
Went to Boston Disturbatory of Music, (laughs) we called it, for one and a half half years, and then I dropped out because I was a street musician in the subway in Boston, and I could play my guitar all day long and learn a lot more about playing. I mean, not to, the school was great. I met Walter, the instrument maker. He was my teacher there. He dropped out too, by the way. And, uh, 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 you know, that was 1978. It was a good time to drop out, 1978. Very good time to drop out. And, uh, and so, and, 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 you know, like, uh, I, it took me a year and a half of going to, you know, classical music school was very different than what I grew up. I grew up playing by going to my friend's house and sitting for hours on his bed with a record player and just scratching the needle back and forth over and over again over the guitar solo to, you know, manic depression and trying to learn how to play that over and over and over again just by ear. And then when I got into classical music, you know, you go to school and they teach you to read, which is wonderful to learn to read music, you know. Um, but, but basically, yeah, basically, I just want, I always wanted to play music in front of people. That's what I, I love to play live. And, uh, and, and so I, I had discovered after just a year and a half that I had to make a living. I didn't, my family didn't have any means. They couldn't pay for me to go to the conservatory. And I played down in the subway in Park Street and Harvard Square. And that was a very good time to do that. Well, were you playing Howling Roof? Or you no, were, no, were no, you no, no, no. I was, I was, I'd be sitting there, you know, 6 a.m. in a December morning, you know, 21 degrees. And, you know, because what was great is you could, you could play a piece. And, you know, uh, the, back then the subway wasn't so efficient, you know, so... Wait a second, you're calling the uh, red line and the green line today efficient? They're not calling it that. (laughs) No, they're not, but it's way better than it was. Really? Oh, my God. Oh, man, are you kidding me? It used to be a half an hour regularly in the morning, which was fantastic. Well, half an hour of people just standing around waiting. You have a half, half an hour of people getting all, you know, depending on the person, getting more and more frustrated or more and more like in love with your music because you're the one thing changing their day from what a drag it is waiting here. And back then there were no announcements over a PA <laughs> to tell you. But you know what they had that we don't have now? Peter Blanchett playing on the subway. They, they did. And they had a lot of good musicians playing. I used to hear, uh, you know, who used to be a busking person? I used to go, to go to get a spot to play, and she'd be there singing. And I'd be like, oh, that, she's Tracy Chapman used to wow. be there. And, and you know what? I, remember, I can remember hearing her voice in a subway station, and she was singing, um, oh, oh, I can't remember what she was singing. But I just remember hearing her and saying, she's different. She's good. And she was, right? I mean, she, it, yeah, she was just singing covers. You know, she was singing, I can't remember. But anyway, there were a lot of good musicians then. There are a lot of good musicians doing it now, I bet. But it's just different now because if the subway, can you imagine the difference between the subway comes every, every minute and 40 seconds versus every 14 minutes? 14 minutes, you have a chance to like, I'm going to play a slow one and, you know, t- you know, chill you out. Now I'm going to play, I'm going to blow your mind with one now. I'm going to play one that's really, you know, fiery, you know. And then you, 
You'll Wait. get that, you know, you'll get that dollar out of a person, which 1978, a dollar was a lot more than it is now, right? When you were bu- busking in the yeah. Boston subways, yeah. uh, did people gather around you or did they sort of stay at a distance and pretend not to hear? Everything. I mean, everything from, everything from, <laughs> I mean, it is such a, you learn so much about humanity doing that because, I mean, everything from a person, st- I've had people stand in front of me and tell me while I'm playing what's wrong with what I'm playing and <laughs> how bad I am. Like, you know, you really shouldn't play those phrases like that. You really shouldn't, you shouldn't slow down at that point. You really need to, I've had people do that. I've had people, uh, you have people. That's a, that's a different kind of railroad conductor. Yeah, <laughs> true enough, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and you have people, I mean, you just wouldn't believe it. I had, I've had people, uh, death threats. I've had a death threat or two, certainly. Because you misplayed, allegedly? Uh, I had a guy come up to me and say, uh, I want to hear Strangers in the Night. And I said, oh, wow. Uh, I, I don't really play Strangers in the Night. And he said, I want to hear Strangers in the Night. If you don't play Strangers in the Night, I'm going to kill you. This is what the guy said. And I believed it. And there weren't a lot of other people around. It was just me and him. Did you learn to play Strangers in the Night quickly? No, no. You know what I did? But you do learn to do something. And I said, well, you know, the thing is, there's a guy at Central Square Station, and he really can play <laughs> Strangers in the Night. You should check him out. And then, you know, like... That was the that last worked, train to Clarkson. You know, but yeah, I know like, people gather. Peter, I'd like to ask you yeah. a Bill Newman yeah. question. The oh. other day, there were 17 Northamptons in this studio, oh, wow. and he asked each one of them the question I'd like to know from you. How did you learn to love music? So what is it about your childhood that brought us Peter Blanchett? I, the, I mean, I don't remember not, not being really into music. I, you know what I mean? I don't remember any... I don't remember a discovery of music, you know, but I do the earliest one of the earliest things I can remember is I used to I used to get taken care of at my aunt Connie's house in Dover, New Hampshire. And my cousins, this would be like 1964 when I was 4 years old and my cousins Mike and Steve Duffy, they were in high school and they could play Beatles songs and sing harmony together. And I, I, I don't know if I've, you know how you enhance a memory, you know, as time goes on. So I don't know. But what I think I remember is I think I remember knowing a song by the Beatles from my sister's records and then being in the room with them at their house up in the attic where they, their rooms were. And they started singing like maybe Can't Buy Me Love or something. I don't know what. So, and I just remember thinking like, that is ecstasy. That must be the most fun you can have. That's what it was to me. Just that must be the most fun. And then from then on, just a collection of influences where you just think, you know, next thing you know, you, 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 my folks bought a stereo at one point and we, we each, my sister and I got to buy a record and I, and I, and I bought the first record I ever bought. She bought Jesus Christ Superstar and I bought um, Pearl by Janis Joplin, because I love the song Me and Bobby McGee that I heard in the radio. And then the next record I bought was Jimi Hendrix, Smash Hits. And, uh, you know, like, I, you, you just have these moments that, and it's not all classical music either. Sometimes I remember hearing... Oh, come uh, on. Jimi Hendrix is classic. 
Well, classic, <laughs> right. Come on. It's classical music in the 24th century, I assure you. But, you know, yeah. We are speaking with arch guitarist extraordinaire Peter Blanchett, who will be performing at Sage Hall on first night at 7 o'clock and the second performance at 8 o'clock. You want to do yourself the great favor of attending one of those two performances. We'll be right back with Peter Blanchett. We're going to hear him playing live in the studio, his arch guitar. Stay with us. Get a fast car. I want a ticket to anywhere. Maybe we make a deal. Maybe together we can get somewhere. Any place is better. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. When depression makes life more difficult than it ought to be, you have treatment choices. Talk therapy, medication, TMS, escatamine. Which is best for you? ServiceNet offers all these choices in one place. ServiceNet's team of therapists, nurses, and psychiatrists are all working toward one goal, to help you feel better. At ServiceNet, we have your back. Call ServiceNet at 584-6855. The care you need is right here, all in one place, at ServiceNet. I'm Tony Warden, President and Chief Executive Officer of Greenfield Cooperative Bank. I want to wish everyone a happy holiday season and a safe and healthy new year. Hi, this is Stacy from the Residential Loan Department at Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Hi, this is Melissa, loan processor at the co-op. Hi, this is Brittany. I'm also a loan processor at GCB. We'd like to wish our friends, family, and customers a very Merry Christmas and a happy new year. Hello, this is Aaron from South Hadley and Courtney from Northampton. We're wishing you a joyful holiday and a new year full of happiness and good health. Hi, this is Mandy. And this is Rachel from, from Greenfield Cooperative. Bank, wishing you and yours a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and all the other holidays you may celebrate this season. Hello, I'm James Alexander, Vice President and Commercial Lender located in Shelburne Falls. I want to wish everyone a happy and safe holiday season from the Greenfield Cooperative Bank. Hi, this is Chris Wilkie from the Greenfield Cooperative Bank, wishing you all a safe and happy holiday season. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The only live and local news in the Pioneer Valley and for the Pioneer Valley, WHMP. Massachusetts Ice Hockey hits the ice at the Mullen Center for the first time in 2024 for a clash against regional rival UConn on Friday, January 5th at 7 p.m. Enjoy an evening of family-friendly fun and see some of the best hockey in the Northeast. Get tickets at umassathletics.com slash tickets. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We are in the studio with Peter Blanchett, arch guitarist extraordinaire, and maybe in a few moments we could also get to talk about the Happy Valley Guitar Orchestra, which you founded, which also will be performing at Sage Hall on first night, I believe at 4 and 5 o'clock, and Peter Blanchett will be performing at 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock on his arch guitar. Would you play us a song, Peter? Sure. Uh... Yeah, here's an here's an here's a really old one. Okay, an old one, yeah. uh, as in fifties rock and roll old one. No, what are we gonna what are we gonna hear? Bach. No, well, I'll play some Bach. Okay, I'll play one of Bach's greatest hits. You can't go wrong. <laughs> Thank you. 
sat in Sage Hall listening to Peter Blanchett in the audience on first night and it's like this in the studio in that hall no one is breathing the place is so quiet so mesmerized that it is absolute magic Peter Blanchett will be at Sage Hall 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock two separate performances on first night we'll be right back we're going to hear more about first night and more from Peter Blanchett and hear more of his arch guitar right after this. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Senator Joe Comerford is among a group of legislators who have filed a bill that would ban the use of Native American mascots at public schools throughout Massachusetts. The bill says clearly to Native Americans, you are people, not mascots. You will be here, you were here before colonists, you endured and survived brutal injustices, and your, you and your tribal communities will continue to help lead the Commonwealth into the future. Schools with mascots like the Warriors or the Chiefs that use Native Americans as their symbol would be required to find new mascots that do not appropriate the likeness of Native people. An Amherst man has been sentenced to four and a half to five years in state prison for receiving images of sexual exploitation of children. Prosecutors say that an investigation into 31-year-old Blake Lassiter began when authorities received cyber tips identifying him first in Oregon and then after he moved to Amherst. He used a Reddit account to upload and share the images. The sentence will begin after Lassiter finishes a 24-month jail sentence in Oregon for similar charges. The Treehouse Brewing Company has received a conditional approval from the Deerfield Select Board to more than triple their occupancy limit from 1,500 to 5,000 for the upcoming concert and event seasons. The condition of the approvals is that the Select Board wants to have the public safety chiefs and the town health agent and building inspector sign off on the increase. There have been safety requests made, including an updated emergency plan and examining the possibility of having a second driveway added on routes 5 and 10 to alleviate traffic after an event. For today, it'll be cloudy with showers and drizzle, highs 44 to 48. Tonight, cloudy, chance for showers, areas of patchy fog, overnight lows 34 to 38. And the outlook for Saturday, chance for rain and snow showers in the morning, otherwise mostly cloudy in the afternoon, highs in the low to mid 40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. 
What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. The co-op kitchen is always cooking. Get ready-to-go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Order sandwich platters or anything platters for lunchtime, party time, or any time. You like to bake? The co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground-up flour and grains, stone-milled in Holyoke. Put a little oven in the oven, bread and brownies, cakes and cookies. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Hello, this is Patrick Kaling, Sheriff of Hampshire County. This year, my office received the prestigious Fatherhood Award from the Children's Trust, a state child abuse prevention agency, for our work with the Nurturing Fathers program. We are proud of our partnership with the Children's Trust and firmly believe that strong, safe families help build strong, safe communities. If you're interested in joining our award-winning team, visit our website, HampshireSheriffs.com, submit an application online, or call and ask for our HR department. When it comes to investing, we're taught the higher the risk, the better the reward. Francis Ram, the money doctor, says it isn't necessarily true. We need to remember that with risk comes the potential for losses, and making up losses can set us back or worse, delay our retirement. You've heard the testimonials for years about how her patented program helps people become 100% debt-free, far ahead of schedule. But did you know that for more than 35 years, Dr. Ram has been helping people retire well without unnecessary risk? Dr. Ram says most people mistakenly accept that in order to earn attractive interest rates, they must tolerate risk and that choosing safety means settling for lackluster returns. But it doesn't have to be that way. You can earn competitive rates and minimize taxes without risking a single dollar of your hard-earned savings. Contact the money doctor at Hug Your Money for a free consultation. Call 413-773-3333 or visit Hug HugYourMoney.com. Strangers in the night, exchanging glances, wondering in the night, what were the chances we'd be sharing love before the night? <laughs> we continue with Peter Blanchett, arch guitarist extraordinaire, who will be performing at Sage Hall on first night at 7 o'clock, a second performance at 8 o'clock. Peter Blanchett, of course, is the Northampton-based international renowned musician, arch guitarist. His CDs are some of my very, very favorites, and his performances on first night have been memorable. We'll be back with Peter Blanchett in just one moment. First, I would love to hear from... Uh, Steve Sanderson, who is the events producer, Northampton Arts Council, who has a lot of the responsibility and the credit for First Night. And I'd appreciate it, Steve, if you could review for us, if you would, please, what are the offerings at First Night beginning at 12 noon and going until 12 midnight? Steve? I'd love to, Bill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you could do an alphabet alphabetical order, reverse alphabetical order, that'd be great. All 113 performances. Is that right? Wow. <laughs> Get ready. Here we go. I'll start with <laughs> at the Academy of Music at noon. As always, we kick off with Show Circus Studio with the acrobats. It's always wonderful. There's That'll be from 12 to 2. And then the dance showcase happens at the Academy. And then there's a little break. And, of course, the fire... I'm just going the Academy schedule right now. There's a little break to set up for the night entertainment. And then the fireworks. And then at 7 o'clock, the Northamptons. 
who you know and love, Bill, and Aisha Burns, Mary Lambert, and we close the Academy schedule out with the Soul Magnets. Well, at least there's some entertainment. Other places, other venues, other than the Academy, you care to share with us? Yeah, I'd love to. Um, let's go to Theater 14 at Smith College, because we're welcoming back all of the Smith College venues this year, which is very exciting. How many venues altogether? Uh, 23. And if you count the courtyard where we have the DJs and raise the ball at the end of the night. 23. 23 venues. And how many performances? How many different acts? About 113. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's tw- a 12-hour festival of all that's good, you know, performance art in Western Mass. And while we're on that topic, I, I would like to point out that for the cost of a button, you can see 12 11 different acts, each one of which, if you went to separately, would cost you that button. It is really an amazing yeah. investment in your own and your family's pleasure and, and, and really education about how to have a fabulous time in a wonderful city. You know, I was looking at the schedule yesterday and I was thinking about how a lot of people will want to see their favorite staple acts from first night. Um, there are so many new ones, too. Like, you can find your newest favorite performer at first night. Okay, well, we're on buttons for a minute. Where can yeah. we buy them? And I think today is the last day, or maybe tomorrow, I'm not sure, the last day to buy buttons at a discount. Yeah, you want to get them today before they go up. They'll go up tomorrow. They'll go from 16 to 20 tomorrow. Um, last day, firstnightnorthampton.org. You can buy them right now, and you can pick them up the third floor of Thorne's Marketplace, the day of. And there are a lot of other places to buy them and pick them up as well. I All mean, over the valley. There's a, a, a Greenfield Savings Banks in multiple different cities and uh, Odyssey Bookshop in South Hadley, State Street and Cooper's here in Northampton and Florence. And if you go to the website, you can see all the other venues. You cannot miss a place. It is near you to pick up a first night button yeah. at a discounted price of $16 today. But $16 for an adult. For an exactly. all-day yeah. button. Right. And there are other buttons available. Yeah. Uh, you can get a $12 children's button that is 13 and up or 14 and up. And we'll say 14 because my daughter Hazel's 13. And we want to make sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to pay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's, there's half-day bu- buttons as well that are, that are cheaper. And, you know, it's, it's, I get it, 12 hours is a long day. Right, but you can start at 12, uh, go till 6 if that's what you have to do. And if you have other plans for, you can enjoy a lot of first night or the last day, if this, as the case may be. Yeah. And these are amazing, amazing performances and uh, performers. You want to give us a little taste of some of the other offerings that will be available? 113 acts? Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, we focus a lot on local, right? That's what we do. And Ciara Fragale, who you oh, had on, she wasn't is that amazing? Brilliant. Yeah, she's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. new to first night so indie rock. It could be your your newest favorite performer ever. Uh, I just talked to Lucia Dostal, who was uh, graduated from Northampton High in 2020 and has gone on to play in Spain and is at Berkeley now and has an amazing like pop career right now, and she's doing wonderful things. She's playing at the Parlor Room. Um, Lisa Bastoni, who we know and love, is playing at the Parlor Room. Uh, but back a little bit to 
the early part of the day. We've got jugglers. Henry the juggler. Who doesn't love Henry and the juggler? And we've got yo-yo experts. <laughs> yeah. The So at Smith College at Theater 14, you can see the yo-yo guy, and he is being joined by the A to Z, our, our favorite toy learning and science store, yo-yo team. The yo-yo, these yo-yoers, <laughs> is that the right word? They... I, I did not know yo-yos could do the things they make them do. I, I, you've just, if you haven't seen this, you want to do yourself the favor. Right. I, I, it just blew my mind the first time we saw, and the second and the third, by the way. I watched John Higby, who is the yo-yo guy, light a match in someone's mouth from 12 feet away with a yo-yo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> wow. Uh, you know, the about... The family-friendly stuff being front-loaded in the day. That, you know, I'm going to give a shout-out to our buddy Penny Burke, who really set first night as it is now and how we know it. And, you know, we've just taken on and tried to make improvements where we can, but Penny Burke is the real rock star, right? She's the OG. And she made it so that the fireworks happen at 615 so if you're dragging a bunch of little kids around, that gets exhausting for a parent, right? right. Or a right. caregiver. So by 6.15, everybody's ready to go to bed sometimes in you know, certain ways. So you have the fireworks at 6.15 and kind of cap off the day. You've been going for six hours. That's all right. You can go home now and go to bed if you want. <laughs> and the fireworks, of course, are free. Just come to right. downtown Northampton and you will have the pleasure of those fireworks. There, there are also puppets for kids, but who curates all this, Steve Sanderson? Well, you know, a, a lot of it, like I was saying, are staple performers that we have every year. And we just now try to add stuff from the, the over the course of the year that we've discovered through either the Arts Council or now the radio station, you know, uh, RSI, the river. Um, people that are doing great things locally. And it, it's kind of easy when you're producing all year long, you just run into people, you meet people, you hear people, you hear performers tell you about their favorite person that they saw recently. And then you just always keep you, we, we send out a call, but as we know, musicians aren't really good at answering emails. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this reminds me, Monty saying to me early on, stop offering musicians the opportunity to come in and play at nine o'clock in the morning. That just doesn't work. Yeah. I tried to take that advice, but I just can't. I, cause I have the attitude. If I can do it, you can do it. Get in here. <laughs> well, I, I have a question for, for Peter Blanchett, which is as a seasoned musician, how important is it that we keep uh, exposing ourselves to new musicians oh. in this region? Oh, it's, totally it's everything it's got to happen and uh and 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 also first nights are a wonderful gig to play because like that's why i call like my gig there arch guitar and friends because every year you know it's like so many of my friends come and see me play on first night because you know they're around and i'm around but then i also realized like you know, I've brought I've brought my duo partner from Spain here to play. You know, at first night, and uh, and t and this year I'm playing with a a new friend, uh, Charlotte Malin, who's a fantastic violist, violinist. She teaches at uh, Amherst College, and I just met her um, this summer here. So it's like th that's the, th the first nights are a wonderful 
institution, you know, and, and it's funny being living around here all these years. I, I, I've sort of assumed that it must be that way everywhere. And we really have something special here. And I'm sure it's a combination of, we have, there's a lot of musical people around here and, and entertaining people. And, and there's a, a, a love of that activity. I mean, that's what's, that's what we love about Northampton. Right. And, um, and it's been a tough couple of years. And one of the things that, you know, made it through the last few tough years is first night. It's, you know, it feels like it's as big and as good as ever. And it's a wonderful combination of people you've never heard of who are really good and people who you've heard make music for a long time. And, you know, like, and all these venues that generously let us do this there, you know, that's like, and That's, we have the Penny Burks and the Peter McQuillans and the Steve Sanderson yeah, put it all together. Yeah. That's right. It's that's truly a musical community. It's a community that loves the arts and and we and we show it at first night because you know, I'll go I'll when we do it at when we do it at Sage Hall, you know, Sage Hall's like Man, it's like Carnegie Hall. It's a beautiful music hall. And it is designed to create those acoustics that are just modern. Yes. Yeah, and the light in there. You know, light is so important. And it's like, it's gold, and it's, it's, it's the right mix of kind of dark, but... And, but and warm. It, warm. It's so warm. And I'm telling you, you make music in there, and you, you just, you feel that, and you play better. And it's so great to look out in the... Uh, every year when I do it, I walk out in that stage and I look out and I just see, oh yeah, my I see my friends there, you know, and their friends and their family and a lot of people I I don't know too. And when so, people applaud for you, what is to me uh, just one one of the memorable aspects of your performances, Peter Blanchett, is that it's not just applaud, applause, nice job. It's this enormous appreciation for the joy you bring and the music you play. Would you play something else for us? Sure, sure. Uh, okay. Uh, something darker. <laughs> okay. I guess, but not that dark. Okay. I'm not gonna, you know. What is it? Uh, this is called, uh, this, is a, this is a tune called Packington's Pound. It's a, it's a drinking song from the 17th century. That was written for because of a guy, a guy named Packington uh, said that he could swim the Thames River, and and it would and the, and if he could do it, he would win this bet. He took bets that he could do it, and that was forbidden. And he was made to go into the Tower of London for like I don't know for a long time, like a year, as punishment for doing it, and then paid his pound of silver. So it's like it's like kind of a that's kind of a cool vibe to it, you know, so.
Well, if he had been able to hear that, the year in the Tower of London wouldn't have felt so long. <laughs> wow. They wrote a that song about him. Well, I understand that the story is a little dark, but the music didn't sound dark to me. Well, yeah, I mean, right. I think it's maybe a little ironic, too. It's a little bit of a, you know what I mean? He, it like, I think he was kind of admired for the, for the chutzpah he had to do it anyway, just to make a pound. You know what I mean? You know what it sounded like to me? Lute music. Ironic. Well, yeah, and it is that too because it's them. I mean, they probably sang it like you know, Packington's Pound, Packington's Pound. I don't know the rest of the lyrics, but it's Packington's Pound. You know, they probably sang it like that. It's real simple, and then you know, just like jazz, like jazz, you take a simple tune and you do this really hip thing with it. That's what lute players were doing with the stuff they heard around, you know. We are speaking with Peter Blanchett, who will be at Sage Hall on first night at 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock as well. We are going to continue our preview of first night right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. The current mayor and city council have really been at odds. I mean, it's been the mayor versus the city council. And my guess is where Ginny's going to start is building on the relationships that she has had with the city council as one of them and really trying to figure out how do we do this together rather than having an adversarial relationship. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. Have you heard about concierge medicine? It's a different way to do healthcare. A complete wellness package, which includes greater access to your doctor and more personalized care for an annual membership fee. Hi, I'm Dr. Kate Atkinson. I'm proud of the excellent care that Atkinson Family Practice has provided for 15 years and counting. In addition to our main practice, we're excited to begin offering concierge medicine. Is concierge right for you? Learn more at atkinsonfamilypractice.com concierge. Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. If you love books, you'll love Broadside Bookshop. Get takeout, save 30%. Get candles, or hit the links, save 30%. Dog grooming, outdoor recreation, burritos, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were gonna buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. We continue our preview of First Night with Steve Sanderson, who is the events producer at the Northampton Arts Council and, of course, the voice of the river here at Northampton Radio Group. I am looking at the performance schedule for First Night. Here's what's in the first hours, that is between noon and 6 o'clock, among others. The Yo-Yo Guy, the Happier Valley Guitar Orchestra, 
the Happier Family Comedy Show, Pamela Means, the Stompbox Trio, the Expandable Brass Band, Neils for Kids, two shows by the Neils, the Raging Grannies, Ray Mason, the uh, Face Painting and Balloon Making, which goes on from 1 to 5 at APE Gallery, the First Generation Ensemble, and it goes on and on and on. You can have a fabulous time with your family, with yourself. What 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 a schedule. Uh, Steve Sanderson, maybe you want to go over a bit on what will be after 6 o'clock, after the fireworks. And I did not mention everyone because we can't mention all 113 in the time we have left. Right. You could go to Theater 14 and see Valley Jazz Voices. You could see the NCMC Pride Chorus, Miles J., uh, the Pangeans, King Radio, Spouse, The Fawns, Dennis Gromit, Klezmer, uh, Tracy Grammer and Jim Henry, the Mitchells, it really does go on and on. And we were talking when we were off air about how the community comes together and is so uh, it, it just crucial to making this event happen, including churches who make their space available. You want to comment on that for a minute? I do. It, it's, it, gives, it fills you with a great feeling, sort of like Peter was talking about earlier how the community comes together, and we are such a music community. These organizations, these churches, these buildings, the people that own these businesses are more than willing. They're, they're chomping at the bit, really, to just be a part of it and help support it. Uh, some of the churches move services and, and look at the music and the people coming together as the service. It's a spiritual event. It is. It is. So, you know, we can't do it without everybody's help. It's not possible. And, and for all the b- businesses and churches to come together and make it happen is part of the heartwarming piece of it. You know, I, I want to point out, yesterday Reverend Ka- Carol Bull was on in, in our Have Faith segment, and she was talking about, she wanted to read some poetry, and she was talking about how arts are such a core part of our spirituality. Yeah. You know, I, I was having a similar conversation with someone uh, on the river just recently about it trans- music will transcend language. You don't need to understand the language a song is sung in to have an emotional reaction to it. You know, we definitely vibrate on this level that sometimes only music reaches, you know, or re- music reaches specifically. The only problem that you'll have for first night is deciding which one of these artists you want to go experience. And they, this schedule, it, it's, that's the only pain here, which is you can't see everyone. You know what I like to do, Bill? What? I like to get the schedule, the physical schedule in front of me, and take a highlighter and draw different threads through it, like roots. It's fun. It's it's. When I used to just come to first night or perform at first night, I would sit down, I would get a coffee or another kind of beverage and, and just make a line that kind of went through the schedule of all the things I wanted to see. And then maybe it was possible, maybe it wasn't, but I definitely recommend uh, wear your running sneakers just in case. What a schedule. What a, what a group of performers. I look at the schedule and I look at... Uh, uh, you know, Peter Blanchett, and I look at uh, the Neils. By the way, the Neils will be performing the kids' show as well as the adult show. Uh, Roger Saloom. I mean, it just goes on and on. It's really amazing. Peter Blanchett, you'll be performing at first night, 7 o'clock and 8 o'clock at Sage Hall. We so appreciate all the time you have given us today. 
we have been spending time with Northampton-based internationally known arch guitarist and a musician extraordinaire, Peter Blanchett. Would you be kind enough to play us out? I'll play the tune that you suggested I play. Are you an educator? Want to be more confident teaching about environmental issues? The Hitchcock Center for the Environment in Amherst offers hundreds of curriculum units, lesson plans, classroom activities, and professional development workshops for K-12 teachers. Come check us out. The Hitchcock Center, 845 West Street in Amherst. For more information, visit hitchcockcenter.org. Want to make a difference in a big way? Nearly 200 children in Hampshire County are on a waiting list to be matched with adult mentors called BIGS. Children who are matched with mentors through Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Hampshire County do better in school, report higher self-confidence, and have better relationships with peers. Start something. Call 413-259-3345 and volunteer or donate to Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Hampshire County. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And this, Bill Newman, this Dan Torres is our last show of 2023. It is, uh, it, it, it's great to be in the studio with you. I want to thank you for this year and New Year's right around the corner, Bill. It is. I, I, I'd like to spend a moment reflecting on the year and the show. We began this show, Talk the Talk, at the end of January of 2023. It was an experiment, and I think that it has become really a part of the community. That's how it feels to me, that uh, many people want to be on our show. Sometimes we're unable to accommodate all the people who want to come and groups who want to be heard and voices that want to uh, broadcast and have their messages heard. We don't have room for everyone, 
but we try very hard to give a representative sampling of voices of our community to let people know about events and uh, uh, political happenings that are here in the Valley. We try to bring uh, to uh, you our elected officials because we think what they have to say in a long form format that allows them to explain their positions and themselves to answer, we hope sometimes hard questions about their positions and what is happening in our legislature and in the Congress. We really appreciate Congressman Jim McGovern being with us every month for his segment that we call Our House. We have, of course, uh, uh, longtime stalwarts uh, from the show, including uh, Salman Hamid, uh, whose segment I just love, Mr. Universe. We have uh, our religious leaders, and we feel like this show really is a part of the community, and we are grateful to the community for welcoming us, for making us a part of your family and your lives. I would just like to give credit where it is due, Bill Newman. The Bill Newman Show, which uh, aired for, what, a dozen years before Talk to Talk, um, became a model for how to do a regionally focused uh, and yet not immune to national and international events um, talk show. It's a progressive talk show that you modeled. Um, Dan Torres, you and I did the afternoon Buzz show for uh, a good year and a half before we uh, created Talk to Talk, and um, and we basically modeled it after your show, Bill. Yep, that's right. Well, I'd like to, while we're giving uh, uh, kudos, I, I'd like to give kudos to Dan Torres, because uh, Dan and I had not worked together much uh, until we began Talk to Talk, and Dan, it turns out, is an extremely smart uh, well-read, analytical person who knows an enormous amount about foreign affairs and I think has added immeasurably to the show his ability to uh, play music for intros and outros. The right music. With about two seconds of warning to figure out or notice of what might be good to play. And you've just done, an, I think, an amazing job running this board and being... Uh, part of this team, Dan Torres. So I thank you so very much. Well, thank you both. I mean, you guys have made it easy. I've I've learned uh, so much from you guys, honestly, and I think it's been uh, a lot of fun. Uh, I've been with blessed essentially to to do this with both of you. I um, I really enjoy it. Actually, uh, I knew I would, and uh, I was given the opportunity. Um, it's not originally what I was doing here at the station, but once the opportunity came around. Uh, I took it and I've really enjoyed having these conversations and also the debates. I think that we're going to have, this is the year, you know, we did a segment a couple of days ago on what's 2024 going to be all about. And I think that's on a lot of people's mind this year, it's going to be one of those pivotal defining years in, that we'll be looking back at. And I know we say that all the time during elections, 2016 is the most important, 2020 is the most important election. Um, but the truth is, uh, 2024 feels like one of those pivotal moments, I think, in uh, American, maybe world history, um, just given the number of elections, who's running for office, what's really happening uh, on the ground. We look at the school deficits. I mean, a lot of things are happening and it feels like it's accelerating, at least to me. Well, I think it, if, and particularly in this region, which is, we have such wonderful activism in this region. And, and I want, Dan, if, if you could describe, we were talking last week 
about, uh, well, how could 2024, how could we sort of uh, make sure that we're highlighting what's so special that happens in this region, as, as the Bill Newman Show did, as the Afternoon Buzz tried to do, and as Talk to Talk wants to do. And we talked about the events calendar that's available on WHMP's website as being a, a site that we really want people to know about. Could you explain that for us? Uh, because I think it's important that people know and use our events calendar. Yes. So if they, people go on whmp.com and look uh, for the, uh, the bar, the toolbar there above uh, that says events. And then you'll see a drop-down menu come down and it says submit an event. And you can do that, and uh, we'll approve it. And uh, that's that's something that we have done before. Um, of course, COVID came around and kind of shut down a lot of the community events. But if people do want to submit events, that things that are going on in the Valley, uh, go there uh, to whmp.com. You'll see events. You'll see submit an event. Click there. Just fill out the information that we need, and we'll go ahead and approve it. And it's really important to highlight all events, but I'm particularly interested in those people who want to have a demonstration, a rally um, in, in front of City Hall or about a bank that's coming into the region that also uh, has a huge uh, contribution it makes to carbon footprint uh, of all of us. It, or whatever, if there is a rally that you're going to have, if there's a, um, a lecture that you think is important for us to hear, Use our event events uh, tab and announce it. It's a good way to uh, enhance the attendance of, of people for that which you're planning. Yeah, we'll be reminding people of that, I think, uh, on a regular basis. You know, I think that we got to make uh, uh, WHMP's uh, strength in community even stronger. I think that's one way to do it. Yeah, I, I before we leave the uh, topic of persons who appear regularly with us. I, I did not I was, did not mean to omit anyone, um, obviously, and I think we should give... You could spend the next hour including... But I, but I, but I want to really thank those uh, individuals who give their time and talents to us on a regular basis. So I want to name a few of them, if I might, a few more, uh, including Senator Joe Comerford, uh, Northampton Mayor Gina Louise Shara, uh, Holyoke's Mayor Joshua Garcia, uh, East Hampton Mayor Nicole LaChapelle and Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedegartner, who was with us regularly on what we call Mayor's Monday. John Pucci, his, his segment called Crime and Punishment, whose insights, I think, into the legal system and the federal legal system in particular, and Donald Trump's legal travails has been really, really, I think, helpful and edifying. I want to thank Duke Goldman, who is here on a regular basis for two different segments, one calling, called Talking Baseball with the Duke and the other Fair Play, where he would look at the uh, sociology, the psychology, and the economics of sport in America. Uh, I want to thank the folks from the Comedy Quiz, Happier Valley Comedy. They are, uh, I think, bring light and laughter to us as well. I'm just so pleased they are with us every month. Uh, for a silly quiz that brings, I think, joy to a lot of our listeners. Uh, Dave Sullivan, the district attorney, is with us regularly as well. Uh, Jim Hicks, the uh, editor of the Massachusetts Review, uh, is with us for uh, quarterly, I think, because that's when Massachusetts Review uh, publishes as well. Uh, we thank Dan Crowley from the Daily Hampshire Gazette, who is uh, a regular. We call that segment... 
We call that segment, what do we call that segment? Oh, goodness. Yeah, well, the, our <laughs> aging brains can't remember, but whatever it is, Dan extra, Crowley. Extra, extra with Dan Crowley. <laughs> extra, extra, read all about with the uh, editor of the Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Greenfield Recorder, and the Athol Daily News. We thank uh, Max Page, of course, from the Massachusetts Teachers Association, who enlightens us and argues with us and brings issues of enormous importance, I think, Many people are interested in education and schools, and to continue that conversation... The statewide weekly, president who finds time to be on the show weekly. Which we really appreciate. Uh, Donabel Cassis with Artbeat, thank you so much for that. Uh, other elected officials, uh, Nat- Natalie Blay and Lindsay Sabadosa and Mindy Dom. We thank Josh Silver uh, for his political insights, uh, political goal with Josh Silver. And there are more, and I'm sure I've left some out. But Well, let me fill in some of those blanks. The writer's block with uh, Megan Zinn, who always brings in wonderful, whether they're publishers, bookshop owners, or authors. Uh, every month we're blessed with First Monday with Professor Bruce Miller uh, and his extraordinary uh, constitutional insights and reflections on the court. Um, we have Feminist Futures with Professor Carrie Blake, Baker, who talks about uh, such important matters that face us. Uh, Senator Paul Mark comes comes on monthly, and we call that segment On the Mark. We have Todd Gazda of the Educational Collaborative, who comes on and talks about matters involving our regional school districts and superintendencies and education generally. Um, we have, of course, Science and Sensibility with Brian Adams, uh, Professor Adams, is on weekly talking about sustainability and issues that affect our climate. Longtime professor of environmental science at Greenfield Community College. That's right. We have our, uh, our All That Jazz segment with Ruth Griggs and Glenn <laughs> Siegel, two giants in the local jazz community that always bring us special guests. Um, and we have Community Action with Director, Executive Director <coughs> Claire Higgins, who talks about how um, uh, poverty impacts on people's lives uh, and what has to be done and what can be done and what is being done to dampen those harsh effects. I think you mentioned War and Peace with Michael Clare, Bill. But, um, and Michael is with us regularly, and we really appreciate that segment and his insights. Uh, he is the defense correspondent for The Nation magazine as well as Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies at Hampshire College. And it, it has. I just want to thank you both uh, and WHMP. It's been really wonderful to be here this year. Uh, it's really special. I'm constantly learning every day. Uh, we have such interesting guests to teach us all manners of things, and we get to uh, engage in political analysis and reflection, both uh, local events and uh, statewide events, national and international events. I can't imagine a better place to be than here in the studio with both of you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to continue exactly that type of conversation. We're ending 2023 as we should, with reflection and looking forward to 24. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. Everyone knows housing is a crisis. It's a crisis not just because people don't have a place to live, and that causes a crisis in humanity, but it's also a crisis for economic development. It's a crisis for the state because people are leaving the state because they can't afford housing. It's a crisis for people who are retired because they can't afford to downsize. It's a crisis for young people because they can't afford an apartment. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP News Information and the Arts. 
Fitting in can really feel like it matters, especially when you're in high school. At the Hartsbrook High School in Hadley, fitting in doesn't mean conforming. It just means a sense of belonging. If you're into sports or into writing, if you're into arts or into math, if you're into nature or using technology as a tool, you can thrive at Hartsbrook High School. And you can thrive academically while being an integral part of a community intentionally focused on belonging. Hartsbrook students take their learning out of the classroom, into nature, into the community, learning through experience, experiments, research, and group projects. Hartsbrook prepares a person to look the world in the eye and take responsibility for themselves and the community. Is Hartsbrook right for your teenager? For parents and caregivers, there's a Discover Hartsbrook High School evening, February 6th. There are visiting days for students, January 23rd and February 6th. Register at hartsbrook.org. The Hartsbrook School, Waldorf Education, Early Childhood through High School on a 55-acre campus on Bay Road in Hadley. I'm Lisa Riley. Join me every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on WHMP as we share stories that shine a light on justice-involved individuals or just underdogs in the game of life, their struggles, their successes, and the many resources and opportunities available for those who are hustling to carve a new path and prove that failure isn't final. So unlock your future, rewrite your story. This is The Hustler Files. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. Welcome back to Talk the Talk. I would like to share with you a letter to the editor of the New York Times that was published on Christmas Day this year. And I think it is particularly appropriate to read it. It's a short letter today as we are in this time where we emulate the Roman god Janus, the god of beginnings and endings, who is known, of course, for looking forward and looking back. And I think that this letter captures a lot of what we need to do at this moment in terms of looking forward and looking back. I don't know, never heard of the author of this letter, short letter, Jeff Lynn from Burlington, North Carolina, the title of which is My Family's Story. Here's what he writes to the editor. I am a first-generation American. My mother fled Nazi Germany in 1936 with her mother, father, and brother. My father fled in 1939 alone and very late in the terrors the Nazis were inflicting on German Jews. My father had passed the German law bar, Mr. Lynn writes. My father had passed the German law bar and was taking postgraduate courses to enter the German diplomatic corps. When he fled to the U.S., his German law degree was useless. So he started sweeping floors in a factory and worked his way up to sorting bolts of cloth in the factory. Eventually, he was able to go back to college at night in the U.S. after marrying and having me as a toddler at home. Again, this being Jeff Lynn's letter to the New York Times. He, a resident of Burlington, North Carolina, talking about his father sweeping floors in a factory and working his way up to sorting bolts of cloth in the factory, having escaped Nazi Germany. He writes further, 
Eventually, he was able to go back to college at night in the U.S. After marrying and having me as a toddler at home, he got his bachelor's degree in economics. When I asked him, Jeff Wynn writes about his father, when I asked him why he didn't pursue a law degree here as he had in Germany, he said, if I ever had to flee this country, I didn't want to have another useless law degree. And I said, Dad, you'd never have to flee the U.S. And he replied, that's what I thought in Germany. Haunting, I think. Buzz? It's haunting. It resonates for me. Um, I would just like to make it a little bit personal. Our daughter uh, married a young uh, German-American, Austrian-American, uh, Nick. Nick comes, his parents are just extraordinary, but uh, his mother, her father was conscripted. He was drafted and forced to fight in the Nazi army. Uh, to his eternal credit, um, after two years, he deserted. He made his way to a prisoner of war camp when he turned himself in because he did not want to fight. Um, my ancestor, my great-grandfather, who I never met, uh, was killed in a gas chamber in Linz, Austria, for the crime of being Jewish. We don't know anything about him because all of the birth records and records of that town were burnt down during the war. But we, he we saw here this next generation of a grandson of a, uh, a Nazi soldier and uh, a great-granddaughter of someone who was killed in the concentration camp. And, um, they, and we just thought there was progress being made that was permanent, that we would never again see the extent of hate or anti-Semitism or overt racism or anti-immigrant uh, feelings uh, become as prominent as they became uh, in the uh, sort of uptick to World War II in Europe. And it is chilling, Bill, to hear that letter because um, here we are. Well, one of the points that I made in a recent column in the Daily Hampshire Gazette is that we really need to pay attention to the words that Donald Trump is using. And I told this story of my father having a discussion and argument with some friends that I remember overhearing when I was very young. And the person, I don't remember who this was, but a friend of my father's, and he was saying, how could we have known what Hitler was going to do? Uh, we couldn't have known. No one could have known what Hitler was going to do. It's so horrifying. Uh, how, how could we possibly have envisioned what happened not only to the six million, but to the world because of this madman's quest to rule the world? And my father said, of course we knew. Of course we knew. We knew because Hitler wrote it all down. He said what he was going to do. He told us what he believed. And then he captured enough of the German public's their imagination and their loyalty so that he could be the dictator he became. And the words were his book. He wrote it. Mein Kampf. It's all there. I'm going to kill the Jews we're going to have a genocide. I'm going to take over the world, and we'll have a thousand-year Reich while Germany will rule the world, and I will rule the new Germany. How do we know that? Because he said it. 
And Trump says, I will be dictator on day one. <laughs> Just a joke. Um, I'm going to have massive camps to deport people and to keep them, much like we had in the United States only, vastly more expansive and expanded than occurred during World War II with Japanese Americans in internment camps here. We're going to get even. We're going to use the Justice Department. I'm going to get my enemies. And we say, oh, it's just Donald Trump. Well, yeah, it is just Donald Trump. It's Donald Trump telling you what he's going to do. He's serious. He means it. And he has people with him this time who will be effective enough to make it happen. I, again, want to bring it home to our experience, Bill, which was we went... Shortly after their marriage in 2000, we went to uh, Austria for the first time was in 2001, and we met there lots of friends of Nick's parents um, who were, actually it was New Year's. Your son-in-law. My son-in-law, Nick, right, my, my daughter's husband's, and daughter's husband's mother was, um, she remembers at eight years old when in fact her father was conscripted to fight for the Nazis and did not want to was opposed to the Nazis. It was a democratic Austria that he was committed to, and yet he had no choice. And what all of these friends, it was New Year's actually, um, uh, what all of these friends talked about over and over was how helpless their parents felt and how after the war they all wished they stood up. They wished they had more courage as it was happening prior to Kristallnacht and in the wake of Kristallnacht. They wished that they had spoken out. And that resonated. My wife, Marcin, and I, we just looked at each other and just promised each other not to remain silent. When, when we see injustices that are not just a matter of political opinion, is it or isn't it that bad, but when it's really so clear, we all have an obligation to speak out. Well, there, of course, there is that very famous quote from uh, Martin Niemöller said, first they came for the, and it goes on, first they came, I don't know if I can do the entire quote by, by memory, first they came for the socialists and I didn't protest because I wasn't a socialist. They came for the communists, I didn't protest, I wasn't a communist. I, they came for the labor union organizers and I didn't protest because I wasn't in a labor union. And they came for the Jews and I didn't protest because I wasn't Jewish and they came for the the list goes on. Is Gays it? and, yeah. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to protest. That is just a, well, a sobering place. We will be right back and continue our conversation. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Senator Joe Comerford is among a group of legislators who have filed a bill that would ban the use of Native American mascots at public schools throughout Massachusetts. The bill says clearly to Native Americans, you are people, not mascots. You will be here. You were here before colonists. You endured and survived brutal injustices and your, you and your tribal communities will continue to help lead the Commonwealth into the future. Schools with mascots like the Warriors or the Chiefs that use Native Americans as their symbol would be required to find new mascots that do not appropriate the likeness of Native people. An Amherst man has been sentenced to four and a half to five years in state prison for receiving images of sexual exploitation of children. 
Prosecutors say that an investigation into 31-year-old Blake Lassiter began when authorities received cyber tips identifying him first in Oregon and then after he moved to Amherst. He used a Reddit account to upload and share the images. The sentence will begin after Lassiter finishes a 24-month jail sentence in Oregon for similar charges. The Treehouse Brewing Company has received a conditional approval from the Deerfield Select Board to more than triple their occupancy limit from 1,500 to 5,000 for the upcoming concert and event seasons. The condition of the approvals is that the Select Board wants to have the public safety chiefs and the town health agent and building inspector sign off on the increase. There have been safety requests made, including an updated emergency plan and examining the possibility of having a second driveway added on routes 5 and 10 to alleviate traffic after an event. For today, it'll be cloudy with showers and drizzle, highs 44 to 48. Tonight, cloudy, chance for showers, areas of patchy fog, overnight lows 34 to 38. And the outlook for Saturday, chance for rain and snow showers in the morning, otherwise mostly cloudy in the afternoon, highs in the low to mid-40s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. Tag your it. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Tom Hartman Program, your home for the resistance, commentary, conversation, and common cause. Join me, Tom Hartman, every weekday from noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1015 and 1400 WHMP. Don't go through another year with that awful joint pain. Call QC Kinetics right now and make 2024 the year you're back to living a normal life again. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative medicine. These are all natural treatments that can repair and restore that damaged tissue, giving you pain-free movement again. QC Kinetics has tens of thousands of satisfied patients around the country, people who had knee pain, back pain, shoulder pain, who were able to get lasting relief with no surgery, no drugs, and no downtime. If you have pain from an old injury or pain associated with arthritis, you need to check this out. The future of medicine is here. Regenerative treatments from QC Kinetics. Make the call now so you can get the most out of 2024. Get back to doing what you love. And don't forget, you can use your HSA and FSA funds. Call QC Kinetics today for a free consultation. Just call 413-992-5450. That's 413-992-5450. 413-992-5450. At the Salvation Army, love gives beyond situation and season. You can be the difference for a family in need right in your local community. Your donation puts presents under the tree today and food on the table all year long. Warm hearts and homes beyond the Christmas season by dialing pound 250 on your phone and saying the keyword, The Salvation Army. You'll have the opportunity to receive a one-time auto-dialed text message from iHeartMedia that links to a donation form. It's easy. Help a neighbor in need through the holidays and beyond. Dial pound 250 and say, The Salvation Army. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back as we are, uh, um, I guess, celebrating the end of 2023 and looking forward to 2024. There's just so much to look back at. It's a time of reflection. And um, when I thought about what I wanted to talk about today, what stories uh, I think sort of... uh, rose to a level just above the so many things that are so important to us. Um, and so much about Trump, about a former president being indicted multiple times, and we could go on and on and on. But I really, I, I wanted to spend just a little bit of time, especially with Bill and Dan here, 
just talking about the United States House of Representatives. In this region, we are just so lucky. Capital L. Huge, big fortune to have Jim McGovern representing us. It is, if you're going to have a represent, we call ourselves a democracy. We are a representative form of government. We elect other people to speak on our behalf, and we have a representative in Jim McGovern who just tries to do what's best for us, his constituents, and even beyond his constituency, just for people. They don't have to be people who look like him or share his uh, background or his religion or even his cultural values, just tries to do what's best for people. And that's what the United States House of Representatives, the people's branch, as they called it, the people's camera, as they called it originally, was intended to do. We all learn back in high school uh, about the Articles of Confederation. We learned that there, for seven years we were governed by a, uh, an entity which was just like our Senate, just people who were designated to represent their former colony, what were to become their states once we had a constitution. Um, and Madison and Hamilton thought that it was uh, too remote from the people, that what they were really concerned about is the elite rather than the people themselves. So they created this bicameral model. And originally, this bicameral model, the House of Representatives was going to elect the people in the Senate. Um, but they found that it was not democratic enough that there really should be by the people. The representatives should reflect local interests. And the House of Representatives was designed that way. And even though now each member of the House represents something like 750,000 people, the theory is that that's what they should be doing. We could go through the history. We don't really have time to continue talking about it for too long. But 2023, for me, is the most memorable thing is really the destruction of the notion of a House of Representatives that represents us that speaks for us, that has our interests in mind. 2023 began in January 3rd. People took an oath for the new, uh, the new Congress, and the House of Representatives then took 15 votes to elect somebody who watered down the speakership so much that he eventually fell victim to his own choices, to his own aspirations to be speaker, that the House of Representatives has done nothing but foment party politics. It has absolutely accomplished nothing. And I think that history, we should all be mindful, like we were speaking about earlier, we should all be mindful of just how vapid this year has been, how devoid of anything that really helps people and their lives. Uh, to me, that's the story of 2023. I, I think it's worse than that. The House of Representatives uh, is controlled by the far right wing of the Republican Party because they have enough votes to prevent anything of substance from being passed in the House when they put their mind to it. And the House of Representatives is the body that is standing in the way of aid for Ukraine, standing in the way of humanitarian aid uh, for Gaza and Israel, standing in the way of any uh, well, let's, let's go back. Standing in the way of a budget deal uh, that is needed in order to fund the United States government. It is obstructionist and it is dangerous. 
And I think that it goes to some of the uh, inherent infirmities in the way in which the House is constructed. And the House is constructed by the Supreme Court's pillars of gerrymandering and racism, which are really powerful forces. Um, And it is not, in my opinion, the people's house, because only nine, maybe 10 percent of the total number of house seats are actually, actually subject to the will of the voters. 90 percent of the house seats are decided before any vote is cast that you can tell whether it's the Democrat or the Republican who is going to be elected. Only 10 percent or less of the house seats are actually going to be subject to a race this year. And that 10 percent, those 40 seats, more or less, will decide which party controls the House of Representatives. That's how important each contested seat actually is. And I will only add to your list money. These people who are elected are elected on the basis of chasing money. They are no lo- The House of Representatives is no longer representative, Dan Torres. So uh, I have a question for both of you. I mean, Bill was just saying that only 10% of uh, House elections are competitive. Um, it's the same thing for the Electoral College, the way it will elect the next president is there is about 10 states, right, mainly in the Midwest and Nevada that will actually be competitive. Seven. Seven, 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 states. seven states will decide. We know exactly which states those are yep. uh, that will decide ultimately who will win the presidency in 2024. But I did have a question for, for Buzz in what you were just saying is, do you think the problems would be reduced if we doubled the size of the House of Representatives? What is it, 435 mm-hmm. members? If we doubled it and made it, what, 870 uh, members? And then instead of one person representing 750,000 people, they'd represent half of that. But they're not representing anyone, those people that Bill is talking about. That, I don't think the no, problem I'm, is I'm just the asking, number. do you think it think would be a solution? The problem is the number of... Uh, representatives in, in, in the chamber. I think that the problem is the way that elections are, as Bill said, uh, gerrymandering, you know, the, the role that money plays, the chasing of money, the constant need to chase money in order to get elected, and the the fact that, well, Josh Silver constantly talks about voters and where they get their information, and whether it's from Facebook or, or from Fox, um, that... Uh, we just have a broken electoral system, and it's manifesting itself in a completely dysfunctional, irrelevant House of Representatives when you talk about democracy. There's nothing democratic about our House of Representatives, and for the most part, they're not representing us. Well, it comes down to those competitive seats, and if the Republicans were to win the House and the Senate and Trump is elected president, I think the country will be unrecognizable and authoritarianism will have succeeded. I don't mean to be fatalistic about it, but I think that is reality. Just listen to what Trump and his supporters say. He is the strong man. He is our fascist. He is the guy we want. It is a cult of personality. He is dangerous. And he tells you why he's dangerous. And I also think it's worth noting here that in terms of democratic principles, that uh, the House actually is in many ways more democratic as an institution than the Senate because the Senate has two 
elected officials per state. So 40 million people in California get two senators and uh, 800,000 people in Wyoming get two senators. And how is that possibly democratic? It's not. And it was the Senate was designed to not be democratic. Let's be clear about that. When the country was founded, there was no direct election of senators. Senators were elected by state legislators. And then, of course, uh, in the uh, early 20th century, earlier part of the 20th century, that was changed by constitutional amendment, and we instituted direct election of senators. But the direct election of senators still is inherently undemocratic because people who live in states that have very small populations, relatively speaking, uh, have the same number of representatives as people who live in states with populations that are 20 or 40 or 50 times larger. It's, it's so interesting that Rhode Island, in the first con- Continental uh, Congress, which was held in New York City, that, that the uh, Rhode Island refused to come because they said, if you do it based on population, we will lose our voice. We, we, we don't want to see a bicameral uh, legislature because that means uh, we won't have much of a voice in this House of Representatives. Well, the, the considerations of what the political reality was in the latter part of the 18th century after uh, the Revolutionary War uh, was very different from what they are here today. And I think it is also worth noting that baked into this undemocratic, this, let me put this, this democratic system with huge problems uh, was the question of racism. And so in order to give the southern slave-owning states more representation, the founders of this country said we will count as six-tenths of a person slaves, six-tenths of a person, for the purpose of increasing the number of people who would be attributed to the slave-owning states in order to give them more representation in the House of Representatives. So uh, I, I really do not ascribe to this notion that the House was designed as a, a democratic uh, institution. It was designed for its time as a more democratic institution, but an utterly racist one. Well, I had a question for you about that. I mean, but if they were to count the slave population as one person, wouldn't that have given more disproportionate support to the southern states? Right. But why were they counting a a slave as six-tenths of a person at all when they say a slave is not a person at all? A slave is property and white people own slaves and that's the way it is. And the whole purpose was to give southern states, slave states, more representation in the House of Representatives. There is a reason why they call And the answer, of course, is yes. But yeah. you couldn't actually... How could, if you, how could the slave... If you made it zero, but if you made it zero and didn't count them, that yes. would have given disproportionate support to the northern states in the, in the why? House. Why? Right? Why? According to the South, according to this country, they, at the time of its founding, slaves were not people. They were not human beings. Right. They were property. It's what's called chattel slavery. Yeah. I just want to point out that the, the conversation that's happening right now is the same conversation that was happening then. That's why they called it the Great Compromise. The Originally, what Hamilton and Madison brought forward was that there would be a House of Representatives and they'd elect the Senate if, but because they were arguing that we needed to have a bicameral legislature. And, 
And that the debate that, that Bill and, and Dan were just having is exactly part of the debate that happened then, and, and they resulted in this. To me, uh, the other thing is that I just, I was an independent, I was registered as an independent for decades. I then, uh, I don't know, maybe around Bush versus Goreville, I started to... Uh, when was that again? Yeah, right, like early part of this century, I, I registered as a Democratic, uh, as a Democrat, and pretty much still do, be- because I was sort of forced to do that in order to combat this rising tide of from the Tea Party to what we see now in the in the Freedom Caucus in air quotes, um, but it seems to me that this allegiance to party, more so than allegiance to country, more so than allegiance to each other, I, I don't know how to gain it get it back into some sort of control. It seems like uh, my party, right or wrong. Yeah, if I can just add a quick comment here, up this Dan about political parties. What I think I've realized is, you know, in the past, the political parties were a lot more either cohesive or had stronger control at the top. And normally we criticize that, right? Because, I mean, think about who they were. They were old white men with wealth oftentimes, right? And even into the 60s, right? And there were reforms to that because people said these parties were not representative. However, now maybe there's an argument to say the parties are more representative of the chaotic people. However, now the parties are becoming, at least one party, is becoming a lot more, quote-unquote, dysfunctional, right? I mean, the, the, the cohesiveness, who's really in control? I mean, you guys just said, you know, the, the right-wing, MAGA-wing of the Republican Party is the one in control, and I've never seen a speaker like McCarthy have to beg on his knees to win the, the speakership. His own but party. Sorry, his own party, and they're the ones who removed him, yeah. which says something that the political parties have been eroded. You know, if there's one crisis, if I could just broaden this out very quickly— that I feel is happening in America that I've never seen before, never read about, is the decline in legitimacy of the democratic government. Maybe this happened in the 18, you know, 50s. Certainly it did. 1850s, 1860s, sorry to say, but that was when the Civil War erupted. But the lack of legitimacy that I hear from you is everything you guys have said about the House and the Senate and other people feel it's other things that are happening in the government, right? From like, you know, all the way down from not being represented, it's the money interests, that's who the Congress is is really representing. We've seen the delegitimization. And I think ultimately, even bigger than Trump, that's the bigger crisis. You know, what I hear from a lot of young people, people in their 20s and 30s and 40s, is they can't afford to buy a home. They can't afford to raise a family. Their wages are too low for the cost of living, especially around here in Western Mass, right? And and I think that this brings up a real issue is that the government that's elected is not able to address the problems that are happening. I mean, just a couple days ago in the Daily Hampshire Gazette, there was a guy, uh, a a activist, who said he had moved out of Northampton and went to Sunderland because he can't afford to live in Northampton anymore. And you see how, well, that's the solution sometimes is people just have to move away because Pricing is just too expensive here. But what happens when government can't address the problems that people are experiencing on a daily basis? Well, let's talk about that. Bill, I'd like to hear your reflections on how 2023 regionally. We'll be right back. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP.
What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. The co-op kitchen is always cooking. Get ready-to-go meals, sandwiches, salads, pizza, burritos. Order sandwich platters or anything platters for lunchtime, party time, or any time. You like to bake? The co-op has all your baking essentials, like ground-up flour and grains, stone-milled in Holyoke. Put a little lovin' in the oven. Bread and brownies, cakes and cookies. Let your creative inspiration flow. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Celebrating? Don't just pop any old pour. Come to Provisions. For unique champagnes from small organic farmers like J.M. Select and La Herte Frere. Female producers, Marie Croton, Ploie Jacquemart. Plus Spanish Cava, Italian Prosecco, and Fizzy Reds. Discover the sparkling wonders of France, Spain, and Italy at Provisions. Each beautifully crafted, intriguing, and delicious. Provisions. Busy. Sparkly. Fun. In the Mill District, North Amherst. At the foot of Crafts Avenue in downtown Northampton. And at the Longmeadow Shops. Reading is one of life's great pleasures. Having a community bookstore makes it even better. Broadside Bookshop is a community-minded, woman-owned, independent bookstore in downtown Northampton, where you can browse to your heart's content. For book lovers, Broadside is home away from home. You can order virtually any book on the Broadside website and pick it up at the store or have it sent to your door. Do you love books? You'll love Broadside Bookshop. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Dakin Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Dakin's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, visit DakinHumane.org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. As we reflect back on 2023, I think it's worth noting the stories that have really roiled our communities. And one of the common denominators has been the way in which schools have been headlines, and in particular, the way in which superintendents and the way in which they have been uh, relieved of their duties and the search for their successors has become not only important local news, but in some instances has become international news. The search for an East, East Hampton school superintendent, uh, I think in some ways was uh, a one-off. These sort of things don't happen where... May explain it? Sure. There was a... Uh, well, uh, v- Vito Perone was uh, voted... It was voted by the school committee four to three to offer him a contract. And then there was the infamous phone call when... Uh, I'm sorry, the infamous email that he writes back to uh, a member of the school committee and the assistant, uh, the administrative person, the school committee, ladies which starts a brouhaha and results in, well, it's not just a matter that he called us ladies, but there are all these other issues involved. And at the end of the day, uh, Vito Perone was not offered a contract. And I know, and I was thinking about this as we prepared for today's show, 
that although there was a lot of noise about him bringing a lawsuit against the East Hampton School Committee and the city of East Hampton, that has not happened, to the best of my knowledge. And I think it's a very hard case, would be a very hard case, to say, I didn't have a contract, but I was promised that I would have a contract if we had agreed on a contract, which we didn't, and therefore I want to sue on the contract to get this job or have some compensation. I think it's very, very... Uh, very difficult case. And I don't think that someone who wants to uh, pursue his career in education wants to be the person who sued the school committee that didn't offer him a job. <laughs> I don't think that's exactly... But the indictment, again, using ladies, but it was called a microaggression. Yes. And then it morphed. And there are these other issues. And uh, I think there was clear opposition to him, obvious clear support as well, uh, and there were a lot of people who said, well, we, we know uh, Mr. Prone. He was the uh, assistant superintendent here in East Hampton, and we liked him, and he'd be a great superintendent. But the vote for him initially to be offered a contract was four to three. This was not an overwhelming endorsement or some unanimous choice by the school committee. It was, in fact, it seemed to be a reluctant choice. And, well, the brouhaha followed, uh, and... He was never offered the job, and there is now an interim superintendent who people seem to think is doing quite a good job in East Hampton. Well, congratulations for being able to uh, calm the waters. Well, Bill, what I want to hear from you is, uh, and Buzz, um, schools look like they have huge deficits. Uh, Northampton schools looks like they have a 2.75, according to Bill Dwight, a $4 million deficit. That's not easy money to find or correct without major tax increases and cuts. Amherst, Greenfield, Amherst, two million Greenfield. I mean, it's a it's a bigger problem. Is young people, like I was saying before, can't afford to live here. So people who do have families and would have kids aren't living in this area. Right, and Amherst is a good example. People say it's just an unaffordable town, and there is not enough housing, and student housing is squeezing out what might otherwise become available housing. This Amherst, of course, was roiled by the. Uh, uh, the, the disputes and the failure of this of the school system to address the legitimate concerns of LGBTQ uh, students, uh, some of whom were being bullied and did not address that. Of course, that ultimately results in the uh, resignation of Michael Morris, that school system superintendent as well. Yep. Um, and finally, the report comes out as to what happened and why. But again, Amherst is not going to have an easy time hiring a new superintendent. You can look at can't candidates look at this and say, I want to walk into this. Right. And if I could just quickly add Todd Gazda, who comes around here, has been saying it's harder and harder to find superintendents with the licensure and the experience that have run schools throughout Bill the state. Bill White said that yesterday that it doesn't really matter as long as we don't have a progressive income tax like we used to to fund our local schools. As long as we're relying on property taxes, there's going to be this kind of financial problem. Well, it's a long discussion that involves Proposition 2.5 and, and what the limits on property taxes are and how much they can be raised. And the state, of course, was going to be the backstop for local local school systems when Prop 2.5 was passed. Money won't would go to the state, but it would come back in the form of uh, chapter 70 monies. But of course, that funding formula has never been uh, 
utilized effectively, and some school systems are still shortchanged. And once again, the House of Representatives refuses to properly tax people who make a ton of money. Well, we have a state constitution that says there has to be a flat tax, so uh, it's not quite that simple. It's curved now. Somewhat, because of the Fair Share Amendment. And says, which says that for income over a million, a million dollars, there is a four percent surcharge on that income, and therefore, well, there is a bit of a progressive income tax here in Massachusetts. Well, um, what I know is we can talk, and we do talk uh, about these matters uh, often. Um, but it is New Year's, and we are in a celebratory mood, and. Um, I really do want to one more time, Bill. First night? First night. Go to first night. Buy your button. Have a fabulous time. And I want to say to all of you, I hope it is a joyous new year. I hope it is a calm new year. I hope it is a more peaceful new year. And I want to thank you for the honor of being able to share time with you on this show and with Buzz and with Dan every weekday. We are in your debt. Have a happy new year. Massachusetts Ice Hockey hits the ice at the Mullen Center for the first time in 2024 for a clash against regional rival UConn on Friday, January 5th at 7 p.m. Enjoy an evening of family-friendly fun and see some of the best hockey in the Northeast. Get tickets at umassathletics.com slash tickets. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com on Northampton Radio Group Station. It's 11 o'clock.